0: Welcome to the Constructing a Business podcast, presented to you by the CMC Network. At the CMC, we help minority and women-based enterprises overcome the challenges they face every single day through networking opportunities, incremental business capacity development, and construction-focused business coaching. I'm your host, Michael Obether. I'm with Supporting Strategies NYC, an outsourced virtual controller and bookkeeper team right here in New York City we help construction leaders build profit. Today on the podcast, we have Christina Amia. She has 25 years of experience in human resources, and she's been running her own business and form HR for almost 14 years. Christina, it's great to have you on the pod. How are you today? thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today, we are going to be talking a little bit about your personal slash business origin Mm -hmm. story, right? You have 25 years of experience in HR, but you've been running your business for almost 14 years. That means there was a period of time where you were working for somebody else. Something happened that inspired you to go out on your own and start your own business. And we kind of want to take our listeners through that process, what you went through, uh, what it's like to build a business and, and where you're at today. So I think what we should probably start as close to the beginning as we can, and, and just talk a little bit about human resources and how you entered that field of, of in your profession.
1: Sure. So I think like a lot of people that go into their profession, they didn't think they were going to do it to begin with. So I was a history major at Rutgers. I majored in history because I love history, not because I wanted to be a professor or an attorney, which would be the typical Uh, fields that you would go into, and um, I was waiting tables to pay for college, and uh, one of the people that I waited on regularly owned her own marketing business. She asked me what I was doing after college. Uh, I said I was probably going to try to get a job in marketing and advertising in the city, and she said, well, I run a market research company here in New Jersey. Do you want to come in for an interview? So I did, and uh, she hired me to do project management on a number of different studies that they do for consumer market research. And because they were a small, growing company, the people needed to execute the studies, had to be hired, and then trained. So I started doing that, and she said, listen, you know, you're good at project management, but you're really good at this part, this part called human resources, which I had never heard of. So she said, you know, you're good at hiring, orientation, scheduling, you know, why don't you take that over? Go for your certification. She had known of SHRM, the Society for Human Resources Management, which, again, I had never heard of. So I started kind of doing that and going back for my certification. And over time, I ended up becoming HR director for the entire company, which I think by the time I left was around 200 employees and $8 million in revenue, if I'm not mistaken. And it was an awesome experience because for, for a lot of the time, I reported into the president of the company when they were smaller. And she was incredibly... Strong-willed, strong-minded, and intelligent, and creative, and so working with her was like a master's degree. It was wonderful, Uh, and then I reported afterwards into the CFO. uh, So it was just really set me on good footing to be able to do this. And then, um, so go ahead.
0: (laughs) No, no, I, I love your story because I have a, I have like a similar. Story, I guess, for how I got mm-hmm. into sales and business development. So I was, I was waiting. I have waited tables, but this particular story, I was, I was in the Air National Guard for about seven years, and during that time, uh, one of my sergeants worked for a big technology company. I was studying IT-related studies at the time, and he he asked me one day. He was like, "Hey, do you just want a job doing this?" And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> uh, I was never an awesome student, but I've always worked, and that was a great opportunity to learn on the job. And what I, my story does change from yours, whereas in my experience, I, I took this job on. I was a, like a low-level network tech. Mm-hmm. I did some desk side support, some telephone support, and it was super fun. And I realized that it was not a great fit mm-hmm. for me. And during that time, I did run this a couple projects for them at satellite locations. So I was flying out to L.A., I was like a young 22-year-old. I ended up sitting sitting next to this guy on the plane who owned a company that sold like nuts and bolts to the military. We talked about sales for that whole flight. The poor guy was probably probably hated me, but I was so intrigued by what he did, and that kind of was like the seed at 22 for me getting into like outside B2B sales. But I the reason I really love your story is. Just taking the opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Some lady randomly while you're waiting tables is like, "Hey, why don't you come in?" And you were like, "Yeah, let's do it."
1: That's awesome. Yeah, and working for her was was such an experience and and such a learning experience. And it's funny how you think sometimes that things don't relate, but they overlap. So I'd loved history. I had always written um, throughout high school and college for um, you know news articles, journalism, and. My history teachers, why I got turned on to marketing and advertising is that my freshman history teacher, and English teacher, was a team teacher, taught history and English through a marketing perspective, looking at, for example, how dictators came to power, how they marketed their message, um, those types of things, right? So they were kind of teaching us marketing and advertising to tie in how historical figures may be... Change the religion in their country. How did they get that through? How did they do? Th- how did they, you know, do this or do that? Yeah. So became really interested in it. And when you look at human resources, I do think, to a large degree, it's an advertising marketing job, right? So you might have we've had a lot of clients, for example, with COVID who haven't been able to give pay increases. So how do you sell to employees? Mm. Please stay. We value you as an employee. We know we haven't paid you more. We will be paying you more as soon as revenues come up. How do you sell that? How do you advertise that and get them to believe you and and be able to stay until you're able to get to that point? So again, it's weird how it overlaps because on one hand, I I didn't do something with a history degree. I didn't go into marketing and advertising. I didn't go into journalism. Yet that's what I feel I do almost every day. That and counseling, I would say. (laughs) We do a lot of counseling, but, but it's hard because most of our clients... Um, because we're typically reporting into the business owners or the executives, they really don't have anyone to talk to. It's not like they can go to their employees and say, I, you know, this person's driving me up the wall. You know, I, I don't know how to communicate with them. They're not performing. You know, they need somebody that they can talk to and we become that voice. So it's, it's been, um, it's been very satisfying. You really feel like you're making a difference. So that's how I got into HR. That's a great
0: thing to be able to say. Yeah,
1: it's really... Yeah,
0: that's...
1: (laughs) That was the HR background. And then how we got into our company was by default. So after leaving that company, I went to a large national company that does paywall and also HR consulting. And I was an HR consultant and would go out to businesses. And most of the businesses were small to medium-sized businesses and would give them HR support. But the HR support driven from corporate was mostly templates and paperwork And you couldn't actually do the work. So if they wanted somebody fired, I could give them a paper on the do's and don'ts of firing. But I couldn't actually do the firing. Um, Same thing with completing I-9 forms or doing the interviews. And I realized there was a real need for this, right? These business owners didn't have someone to actually execute on this. And I was finishing my master's degree at Rutgers in human resources. And my husband said, well, let's open up our own business. And I said, absolutely not. I didn't want to be a business owner. So... (laughs) And he said, well, this will be the only way that we will have true wealth. And our definition of true wealth was not necessarily money. Our definition of true wealth was being able to see our kids, being able to go to a ball game. At the time, I had just had a baby who was falling asleep at 6.30 at night every night. And, and again, remember, this is pre-COVID where people weren't working remotely. There wasn't as much work-life balance. So a lot of the jobs I would have taken would have been further north with a larger commute, you know, working away from the house, you know, 60 hours a week. So I yesed him to death. I didn't mean it. I just figured I would finish my masters and then I would go get a big corporate job. And yes. so we went out on our own. I was due to graduate in December and went on, on our own in like July and by something like October we were in the black. We were already doing well. And now we got to the point where you had to make business decisions based on are you really doing this? Should you have a website? Do you need an office? What are you gonna do? And uh, I was hanging out with some of my uh, friends and uh, if I'm going to be honest, I think it was like Thursday, 1130 at a bar doing shots with a bunch of guys I knew from the gym. I'm honest. And, and one of the guys, Dennis, said to me, uh, so what's going on with this business of yours? What did, what, what did you decide to do? Because he knew I was in limbo. I said, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I got to, you know what, I got to get off the fence here. I got to make a decision. He said, yeah, he said, well, let me give you some advice. You're doing shots at a bar at 11:30 on a Thursday with a bunch of guys from the gym. Maybe corporate isn't for you. (laughs) Maybe owning your own business is is what you should be doing. And uh, so then we just went for it. And a year later, my husband quit his job and came over and started running back end operations. And um, we got so busy that we needed more HR practitioners. And now we're a team of seven. That's outstanding. It's a I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Why does my husband allow me to go drinking with other guys? I understand. <laughs> no, that, that is
0: great. Actually, it just tells me you probably have a very healthy relationship. <laughs> I'm. I was curious because, first of all, that's an amazing story. Congratulations on being fortunate enough to be surrounded by people, or at least one guy at a bar who is supportive. Because mm. I think when you listen to like business podcasts. When you listen to an entrepreneur. It's often the story that when people talk about having their own enterprise versus working in a corporate environment, there's a lot of people who are negative about it. I'm like, well, you know, now Christina, you know, it's going to be really tough. You're going to mm-hmm. run into this. You're going to run into that. But instead of that, they were like, yeah, well, <laughs> you seem to like your freedom. Yeah. Maybe you should go down this path. Well, yeah. You know, maybe that was a lucky. you were probably already headed down that path anyway. You know what? I'm so excited. I do have a question. It's- I'll, okay, I just this ahead. one question. You mentioned you mentioned counseling,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: You were like, "Yeah, we do a lot of counseling," which which I hear. Right, I, I get that. Um, and you talked about the corporate experience being like very template driven. Mm-hmm. So I get the sense that maybe you weren't doing too much counseling in the corporate environment. When did that, was that a natural thing for you? Is that a natural thing for you to do? Is it skill you had to learn or that you've developed being in your own company? Like how, what was that like for you to transition from sort of human resources? I don't want to say robot, but like, you know, you're filling, you're checking the boxes to being more of a creative human resources leader for your client.
1: So what I typically do is I start with the, for lack of a better term, what I would call the structure. So what are the, regs and best practices in place, right? So let's say you've got an employee who says, the office is open, but I really don't feel comfortable coming into the office. Um, Okay, so what are the things in place? Do they not feel comfortable because they feel the office is too populated and they have a medical necessity? Do they not feel comfortable because somebody's bothering them? Do they not feel comfortable because they have a long commute, right? You just kind of start thinking through it. And then I think a lot of it too is, um, Sometimes, you know, it's funny, Tim Ferriss, um, the life hacker, blogger, author, often asks the questions, what would this look like if it was easy? And I asked the question, what yes. would this look like if I knew the answer? Because I think sometimes we we don't know the answer intellectually, but in our gut we do. So in our gut, you start thinking to yourself, okay, so is this a job where somebody can work from home? And are we being consistent with if we let this person work from home, letting other people within the job work from home, and what expectations are we setting? So I think it's it's a combination of, um, I hate this terminology because it's cliche, but art and science. And I find mm-hmm. that sometimes okay. if I, if I use my brain to think about what are the parameters, what are the regs and the best practices I need to take in place, and then if I shut off my brain, once I've done that and go with my gut, And sometimes kind of talk it out in the pros and cons, then it it happens kind of naturally. And also, what I really like is having the team. Because in HR, HR is such an experiential profession. And sometimes you get hit with things that you just can't even imagine. And to be able to say, you know, okay, how would you do this? Have you had this happen? Have you had a workplace where 10 people want to bring in a dog to work? So 10 dogs all barking where five people say they're allergic. You know what I mean? Like, and being able to say to an employee, have you had that happen? I think really helps too.
0: I am absolutely one of those employees who's pretending to be allergic because I do not. I've, oh, I, I'm have i just terrible, I think, when it comes to distractions. I would be the worst boss, I think, in terms of that type of community. Mm-hmm. We want to bring our dog. No. No. <laughs> Pardon dog yeah. Forget it. How do you help? How do you help people navigate? Because that's that's a big deal. Right? My parents have a dog. Mm-hmm. They are obsessed, and they don't go anywhere without Gracie. Um, and I, I'm sure there are other challenges that business owners face culturally, uh-huh. right? Like when you make those decisions. Well, and I'm sure there's some of the more challenging challenging things to deal with what's the, what's the approach? Well,
1: let's walk through the dog thing. Cause that's a perfect example. And listen, I get it. My parents got a dog, um, later in life, they always had cats and now they've got this dog. And I always say, my goodness, if, if you pay as much attention to this so my sister and I growing up, <laughs> as you do this dog. I, yeah, I certainly have a lot more self-esteem. Like, we're gonna be kidding me. They worry about what the dog eats. My is the dog
0: would be? Oh down. my gosh,
1: is the dog warm <laughs> enough? Like, every, I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, So, like, let's look at the dog situation. So, one of our clients wants this policy where you can take your dogs to work. So, I haven't been faced with that before. But going back to the, what mm. if I knew the answer? What would be the questions I would ask? Okay, so what would the questions be that I would ask? Well. Are you going to say the dog should be vaccinated? Are you going to say the dog should be on a leash? Are you going to say that there needs to be notice when the dog comes in? Are you going to say the person still should have to do their job and still be able to perform? Um, that there shouldn't be loud squeaky toys because I can't stand distractions either. So loud squeaky toys in the office would, would would not work for me. And so you just kind of start thinking about what would I want to know when you start kind of going through it and structuring it. And, and certainly you could do some research and we do into you know policies and things to consider with having an animal friendly workplace um but i think you just start kind of i spent so many years thinking that i have to be an expert i have to know every single answer and what i've realized is that what i have to know is that i don't know and how to find the answer that's the biggest thing and when i hire people when I interview them for HR, I ask them subject matter knowledge questions, partly because I want to see what they know, but really because I want to see what they don't know and if they know they don't know it and what their answer is. Because you're going to be faced with things in this job that, like right now, you, you don't know the answer to I'll give you a perfect example. Cost of living increases. Are, it's 6% for 2022. Okay? Inflation yeah. is a little over 7 So, and most companies for the past number of years have been giving cost of living increases of two to 3%. So now you're faced where businesses who have been financially struggling, struggling for the past few years with COVID and with staffing shortages in order to retain staff and pay them appropriately need to at least pay the 6% cost of living increase, knowing that that doesn't even make the employee whole because inflation is 7%, and knowing that the business itself is in the exact same position. That's something that no one tees you up for. There's no class on that. So then you start kind of thinking to yourself, okay, so I have this one um, pharma client. So they were going to pay somebody a couple dollars extra an hour, hourly employees, and then promise them a retention bonus like six months, a year later, right? So regular retention bonuses. So I'm saying to myself, well, gee, let me think about it. From an employee standpoint, any person, most people, I shouldn't say any, most people are living to some extent paycheck to paycheck, right? If you look at the debt in this country, you know, most people aren't sitting here going, I could lose my job for three years and still go to Hawaii on vacation. Most people are not having that experience. So now you're saying to somebody, I value you. I'll keep you, and you'll get this money then. So instead of increasing this person $2 to $3, why don't you get rid of the retention bonus, which is down the road? Why don't you pay that increase them 4 to 5 $6 to $7? You don't have to pay the retention bonus. And they're making more in the here and now, and psychologically speaking, first of all, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. We all know that. And psychologically speaking, when people think about comp, they typically do not look at total compensation. They typically don't look at, right. well, I make 50000 a year base salary, but I really mean make 60000 because I get a $10,000 bonus. No, most people go, what do you make? I make 50000 a year. Now, do I know the answer to that? I didn't know the answer to that. But in talking to them, and just kind of thinking, gee, what are you going to do in the situation where giving somebody a 6% increase is just barely holding them? in an industry where they can hop across the street and make much more. Do you understand it? It's kind of, that's where the art science, mind gut thing kind of comes in.
0: Right. I mean, a retention bonus is great, but nothing retains people like a solid raise. I mean, that's just my own perspective. Like as a normal, I'm a Mm W2 employee. You know, if I'm not making ends meet, and someone comes along and it says, hey, I can give you a position where you can be more financially successful. Well, I'm going to be extraordinarily tempted to do that. Where people
1: are struggling. Right?
0: And I, that's absolutely.
1: absolutely. No. Where people are struggling is that, as you know, once I give you an increase, technically I can take it back. But you know you can't. So if I give you a 6% increase this year and the next year I go, well, business isn't doing so great. I'm going to give you a pay cut. That's really hard to do. So where a lot of businesses are struggling is shoot, I'm gonna give this huge pay increase now. And what I'm saying is, yeah, but chances are you haven't really given significant increases over the past few years, and this labor shortage isn't going away, so take the risk. But yeah, it's difficult.
0: Well, I I think it's, so you mentioned a few minutes ago about an employee recognizing their total compensation Mm -hmm. versus what they see in their check each week. I don't think business owners are any different, right? they're looking at the cash they're outlying every pay period to their employees. When in reality, if you reduce your turnover, and I'm brave. sure you can confirm this or deny this, but turnover is very expensive. Mm-hmm. You lose that organizational knowledge. You lose that, you gotta recruit somebody mm-hmm. new. You don't know if that new person is gonna work out. That's expensive and time-consuming as well. And I assume, right? you can tell me otherwise, that giving someone a a decent raise may actually be cheaper yes. Than losing them in the long. It is.
1: You need to be able to see the forest through the trees in HR and business initiatives, and and that's what mm-hmm. you know we're we're trying to help our clients see. That's one of the reasons that I really liked the Rutgers Masters program. One of the critiques about HR people is that they don't understand business. That's a very common critique that people say, and a, and the Rutgers Masters program was developed by the surrounding business community. And they actually, with their participation, I should say, and they went to them and said, what would you want from a human resources professional? And then they built the program kind of around there. So what I'm looking for when we're hiring is, you know, yeah, we can tell somebody this is how you can't discriminate under Title VII in New Jersey law against discrimination in New York's human rights law, and et cetera, et cetera. But how are you also thinking it about as a business and how you apply to this? right? Because because there's a lot of gray area, you know, the, the the law might say, you only have to pay for jury duty, like in New York for a certain number of days and only at $40 a day. Okay, so that's like the law. And then the reality is, how are you going to retain and attract people? And what makes you look more robust? And just being able to have that conversation with a business owner and talk through those things. So again, this is where you get the feeling that you're making a difference and an impact. And the other thing that I've been really excited about is that the very thing that my husband and I wanted from starting this business, which was to feel that we're doing meaningful work and to have true wealth because that was part of the true wealth. I feel, and I guess you'd have to ask my employees to see if this is the truth, that they feel that way too, right? So, you know, if someone has a uh, their kid's swim lesson at 10 in the morning on a Friday, they go to their kid's swim lesson. You know, if someone's ducking out yeah. at three because they've got a baseball game and, and the work that we're doing is, uh, is, is, work that I think helps managers feel more at ease and also employees, particularly around investigations and disagreements, where we do a lot of investigations as part of what we do for some of our clients and as all of what we do for some of our clients. Some of our clients hire us just to do the investigations and that's a very awkward, stressful time for absolutely everyone involved. And we recently just did one. Um, One of my employees on the team did did the interviews and then as because I usually like to have one person do the interviews for consistency and then a second set of eyes, like me, start preparing the report and look at it objectively who's not in um, the situation. She made every single person feel comfortable and welcome in a very uncomfortable situation. And uh, and we were able to, mm. so far the outcome of it has been has been great. And it's just very satisfying. You know, I mean, listen, if you're going to do a job and make money, you want to feel like... You're at least doing something that you, at least for me, that you enjoy, and you feel like there's a reason that you're getting up, other out of bed, other than just I'm paying the bills, um, which is certainly important. Paying the bills is super important, but there are many different ways to pay the bills, and this I kind of feel like I do feel like I kind of that we're making an impact, and it's very satisfying for me.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> if you're not if you don't feel great about the value you're delivering, mm-hmm. that's a very difficult thing to do every day. I, I think for most people. Right. That's interesting about that. That person who's doing the interviews that empl- it was an yeah. employee of yours doing the interviews. Yeah. Right. Was that um, was that a personality driven skill or just a raw skill? Had she been trained to do that? Well, I
1: don't know, because it's very strange, because all of our HR business partners seem to inherently have that. Right. So there's a certain amount of skill that's developed in terms of what questions to ask. How do you not lead the person to give you the answers? Right. You don't want to say, did that make you feel uncomfortable? You want to say, how did that make you feel? Right. So that's a certain level of development um, that's that many of our employees have before they come to us because they have experience or they develop here. But that innate um, being able to make somebody feel comfortable, that innate being polished, I think. I'm not a psychologist, but I think that's in you or it's not. And all of our HR business partners, which I'm so excited about, you can, you can put them in anything. You could put them with the lowest level employee to the highest level employee. And listen, to me, the lowest level employee is the highest level employee because they are the ones that are making the business run. So you need to treat them just as, with as much value as the highest level employee, but my point is, they're able to be in a manufacturing setting, in a doctor's office, in—I um, mean, my goodness—I've been on a private plane with a client before, you know. Um, It's—it's—and they're—and they're all able to hold their own, and that's what I'm really excited about for the team and the and the value that we can bring to the clients.
0: So that is quite a team to have developed. But obviously, that team was created by somebody was that i mean it's hard to plan that right so you either are very keen accidentally maybe to hire these extraordinary people but is it has it contributed to your own business culture right Mm -hmm. or is has the hiring that you did built like was it was it a goal (laughs) or has has your culture just been created through careful hiring so my right what's
1: so my goal was that the the individuals individuals we hired would have business acumen right they don't have to be CEOs and CFOs that's not what i mean they're hr people but they had to it had to be more than just here's the template you know and i'm i'm employees best friends i mean one of the things that i ask when i interview is what do you see as the role of hr in an organization and i'm specifically listening to see if they think the role is to be employees' best friends. They, they would say it differently, but that's not the role of HR in an organization. So the role of HR in an organization right. is to support the organization, which seems cold. But you are supporting employees if you're supporting the organization, because they're part of the organization, right? Um, but So I look at that. I look at if they have a certain, I guess I would say poise about them and customer service about them. and. I I look at if they enjoy the challenge of the challenge of what this is. And all of them, when they've come on board, have been very excited that there are like minded individuals here and feel a sense of relief because they want to feel that, hey, I can bounce an idea off of someone. I have, there have been times when I have slowed bringing in clients, which my husband and business partner hates to hear, but I don't want to fill a seat not for the work we're doing. Michael, we're completing I-9s for clients. We're processing their payroll. We're firing, we're hiring. We're doing investigations that result in, sometimes people losing their jobs that result in court cases. This is, this is very intense work and it's very, um, there's a lot of liability. And a lot of, and I don't want to say it like that because it's not just about protecting ourselves from a legal perspective. It's also about the exposure a company has, not just legally, but also if they make the wrong decision, if they fire the wrong person, if they have bad morale, if they make, if if they have an employee who doesn't feel heard, that has impact. There, there's a, a negative impact in that throughout the organization. So, um. So yeah, we have team meetings regularly. Um, what well, I have the team when I interview someone. I make sure that the team meets them beforehand. Uh, Not beforehand, but before they're hired and to kind of see, you know, for a fit. Because even though each of our clients gets at one HR business partner, they're not calling into a call center. We also are a team. So it's very important to me to have somebody who works well with the team and vice versa. Uh, Because again, there are times when you're dealing with, we've, we've dealt with assault cases. I mean, you deal with some of the investigations we do are almost, they're not almost, they're X-rated, some of them. They're, they're very, you know, yeah. you have people, I, I, I've had people in front of me crying with a drug problem um, at a client who we're, we're working with to get in a, a reasonable accommodation, get them into rehab, while at the same time protecting the company by saying, this is your final chance. It's it's very intensive work, and it's not uncommon at the end of the week to feel really, really drained, you know, um, which, which is interesting because... There, we've some people have asked us, A, are your employees employees? Which, and what scares me is when some HR people ask me that because I'm like, oh my gosh, if you're asking this question, I question whether or not you're in HR because they are not contractors and they can't be. But, you know, the level of work that they're doing, you know, they're definitely employees. Um, And number two, I've had some people say, well, do you hire more junior people? I've gone to all of my employees and said, should we hire someone to do just do payroll or just do recruiting? And the answer's been no because every once in a while, when we can just do recruiting or just do payroll, it's like whew, vacation today, <laughs> you know. Right. So, so it's kind of nice. To, right. Yeah, it's kind of nice to kind of have that buffer. Um, right. And uh, and I try to work hard about giving them a variety of work. So you know, it's
0: interesting. It's interesting to hear you describe like the the investigations you mm-hmm. do and the way that you were saying someone crying to you and and having, um, drug problems in their life. And so human resources lives where like your personal and professional life come together, Mm -hmm. right? So those personal challenges, those day-to-day life challenges that people face definitely impact their work life. And as a human resource leader, you're, you're deep in both of those worlds, right? And helping people manage that. That's, uh, yeah. never really thought of it that way but it's very it's emotionally demanding
1: it it really is and you really and it's funny too because sometimes when you're doing investigations you feel your heart tugging towards someone and and you can't let it yeah. tug you just have to stay completely impartial and ask the questions and you know it's it's a hard thing but but i love it i love i love that we're you know so involved and and listen you know i had a client the other day we had um we met with a few employees following an investigation, and I thought one meeting was going to go okay. I thought one was going to go, eh, I would say, you know, not so great, and I thought one was going to go horrible. And the first meeting went well. Right. The second meeting went okay. And the third meeting went great. And, 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 and it was amazing. And, and the, the employee walked out, and the client turned to me, and he said, I love working with you. He's like the collaboration, the, nice. you know, and it was just like, that's what makes you feel like this was great. This was a great day.
0: Yeah, so I have a question because you've, you've, you've obviously had an enormous amount of experience in your time mm-hmm. and certainly in your own business. And just through this conversation, I can tell, you know, you're way beyond just helping people with uh, labor law related compliance, mm-hmm. right? And I'm just, but I'm curious, you know, you started your business almost 14 years ago. You said this summer is your 14 year mm-hmm. anniversary. The goals and the way that you view your business and the growth of your business over time, have they changed from when you started and what you thought your business would look like yeah. today? And, yeah. and what do you see for the future for you? What, what do you think you're gonna take and form?
1: Yeah, they've, they've radically changed. So we, we had a business coach when we first started, um, and, uh, and he helped us with things like the vision and the mission and, you know, kind of the core things. And I remember he said to me, um, I need you to write down and describe your ideal client. And I laughed out loud. And he said, what? And I said, um, breathing. <laughs> breathing is my ideal client. And he said, Christina, right now breathing is your ideal client. And right now you're going to take a meeting with anyone. He said, but there's going to come a day when you're going to be You're going to be successful and you're going to be busy and you're going to be able to be selective. And it's funny, like, I've just gotten to the stage in my life where I don't want to work with jerks. I can, money's money, Mm -hmm. but I just don't want to. And, And I don't want to work with people that don't treat their people well. So listen, we have some clients who make mistakes. People make mistakes. That's different from a conscious no, I know I should be paying them this, but I'm not going to. I don't want to work with that. Right. And so we we have really defined, and there weren't many of them. Our clients are, we are so blessed and lucky. We have amazing, amazing clients, and we enjoy them all. It's been very rare, but every once in a while, you know, something comes up where I'm like, I'm not sure if this is a fit, and we've been able to discern. We've been able to, now we're looking at, um, we have some clients that I want to say are saplings. So if you think of a tree and a sapling, they don't really use us that much, which isn't a big deal because that's one of the great things about our business is that you don't have to use us consistently. So we have around 200 clients. We bill bill out about 60 clients a month. So you're going to say, Christina, I know you're a history major and not a math major, but that doesn't add up, (laughs) right? And that's because of the 200 clients, they don't need us all the time. It might be an investigation here. It might be, a huge recruiting initiative there, right? And we have some clients where we are their outsourced to HR, so it's consistent. So I don't mind that. I think it's important for small to mid-sized businesses who don't need HR all the time to be able to have a resource that can when needed act as HR director. But when you have a client that's right. using you for 3 hours a year and when they do want to use you it's for something like hey, we need you to fire this person now and you haven't even been involved in the decision and there's high liability and not a big paycheck and you don't even know if the decision is being right. And we're starting to look at them and saying, like, no, there's a cost of doing business with us. A, we need to know a little bit more and B, these these three-hour fire drills are taking us away from our clients where we're more embedded who need us more. So we've refined it. Um, We've started, you know, in the beginning, I didn't set goals. You know, now we set goals and budgets every year. We have, so speaking of budgets, you know, we have um, we have a marketing budget. I mean, like things a real business should have. We did not have these in the beginning. A marketing budget. We've always had a charity budget. I feel very strongly about that. Um, we've always had personally a charity budget and professionally, since we've had the business, a charity budget. Um, I say I'm a lot, I realize. <laughs> Let's see what else. We set goals every year. We've hit milestones. I used to have people say, well, what are your goals for the business? And I would say, just to keep doing great work. That's not a goal. And so now, and you can't stagnate in business or in anything in life, or you'll just fizzle out and die. So now, you know, we have a revenue target for this year, which we did for last year. We have a staffing target for this year. And I've started to look at setting more aggressive goals. And a lot of this comes from, I do a lot of reading. Um, Vivian and I have talked about, for CMC, potentially me starting a book club. I read like the way most people eat is the way I read. So <laughs> it's, really, it's crazy. And I, and I read all over the map. So it can be, I'm reading a book by um, a sports psychologist right now about key wins in sports and in business. Uh, I'm reading a book about a therapist, about how you need to look at your habits and which habits are setting you up for success and which habits are unconscious that you don't even realize. And you know, I go through uh, all kinds of things, but I read two books by celebrities over the winter thinking they might be fluff books. Wow. One was mm-hmm. particularly life changing and I sent a whole snippet to Vivian about it. So I've always been a big fan of Will Smith. Um, he's got this quote about a treadmill and I'm butchering it, but I loved it. So he said one time and people can look it up and find it, but he said, you know, if he said basically to the extent, I'm just like everyone else, I'm no smarter. I'm no more successful. The difference between you and me is if we both get on a treadmill, two things are going to happen. You're going to get off first or I'm going to die on the treadmill. And I just loved that. Like, you know, his, his humility, but also his confidence in his work ethic. So a lot of hype has been around um, the book that just came out, his biography. And I, I, decided to read it because I've always been a fan and I was just really blown away by the number of life lessons in them and one of them was where he had really kind of was very successful but in a very kind of lethargic phase in his life and his friend was like you know what are we doing here like we're rich we're successful and we're just like blah like it wasn't like enough and he was like and he's like what do you want and Will Smith said I wanna be the world's biggest movie star. And his, his friend and partner, of and course. his friend and partner was like, now that's something, let's go for it. And they went after it like a job. Like literally, they interviewed movie stars. Like they talked to Arnold Schwarzenegger, they looked at the formula to make a successful film. And, and the sports psychologist um, book that I'm reading right now, he's saying, you know, I'd rather work with somebody who's got less talent, but an audacious goal. And so I start looking back at the goals I used to set for our business, like breaking even, you know, billing out this much. And I realized I've really put subconsciously and sometimes consciously this, this cap on our success. And instead of, you know, saying like, hey, let's go for it, we're doing great work, we've got a great team, let's keep going and growing.
0: That is such an important message, I think, for every business owner, but absolutely for the CMC members. Mm-hmm because they are all growing their businesses too. And I know Vivian, is, that is a big part of her goal is to shift people's perspective for what's possible, right? Some people come in and they have, they come in with like audacious goals and maybe they we need to set a path. And other people maybe are thinking way too small and it's gonna hold them back. And it's interesting to hear your progression from sort of meek goals, yeah. conservative humble goals, yeah to structured goals with actual numbers, timelines, probably like, probably the acronym SMART Mm -hmm. is being thrown around in your, right? So um, it's awesome to hear, it it really is. And I'm glad that that you've gotten to that point. And there's certainly areas in my own life, my own work where I need to be a little bit more audacious in my goal setting. So this has been a good conversation for me to hear. So I appreciate having it with you. Yeah. Is there any parting uh, message or words that you want to share with our viewers just about, you know, this is about you as a business person, a business leader, where you came from and where you are today. And you've done an awesome job of sharing that story with us. But do you have your own personal little wisdom? Anything you want to share? If not, it's okay. I know it's a lot of pressure. I'm coming out of here. No, no, that's okay. And I don't
1: know if this answers your question exactly, but it's something that I want to say. So maybe it does. We spend most of our lives working. So when you can have an environment where people are valued and appreciated and enjoy what they do, are treated fairly and treated respectfully, that is, I shouldn't say this because I'm HR, but that's God's work. Right, just keep religion out of it. That's God's work. That that's higher than you work. You know, it, it's a short life. You're you're only here for so long. And when I look at these business owners, I get so excited because they're taking this chance to make an impact and to take their talent that only they have, uh, and that risk and go out there and do it. The only thing I would say is make sure. For them to surround themselves with people smarter than them in what they don't know, uh, you know, I've tried really hard to do that. I'm great at HR. Am I great at marketing? No, <laughs> I've hired someone to help me with that. You know, am I am I great at in insurance? No, I've got you know a great insurance broker who keeps me protected and buttoned up. Um, and you know, I think that's very important to do so that you can really focus on what makes you shine and. Um, I just get very, very excited about business owners and entrepreneurs and what they're bringing to the world and what they're bringing to this country and the environments that they're creating at the workplace for people. Because again, when you spend most of your life at work, you're really creating those environments and they should be very proud of themselves, feel a sense of responsibility and feel very proud of themselves. And, uh, they're doing great work and I'm excited for it to be a part of it.
0: I love it. So if, uh, if our viewers or listeners want to reach out and, and talk with you about your service or your approach to business, what's uh, the best place or best way for people to well, reach you? Well, I could be
1: cold and tell them to go to our website, but that's not really me. So what I will tell them to do is they can call me directly at 732-814-2972. I'm happy to have a discussion with them. Uh, we may not be a fit. Sometimes we're not. I can help point them in the right direction, tell them what they really need. They may need a full-time HR person. They may not need us. They may only need a couple things. Um, they can also go to our website if they want to, to learn more about us at www.enformhr.com or email me at C-A-M-Y-O-T at enformh
0: Awesome. We'll make sure those are in the write up for this episode and for all the viewers out there. Thank you so much for watching and listening. If you want to find more information about the CMC, it's a great idea to go to cmcnetwork.co. You can get more information about what we're doing for women and minority owned enterprises. You can find your way to our blog. You can find our way to our YouTube channel where all of our episodes are held Um, It's a great organization doing great work. I'm Michael Obethor with Supporting Strategies. Thanks for watching.